Welcome everybody out to Utah in the Weeds. My name is Tim Pickett. I am your host. And this is a podcast about Utah cannabis and cannabis culture. And Utah has a medical program. So we talk a lot about medical cannabis and today is no different. Today's guest is Clifton Uckerman. He is a licensed clinical social worker for Outpatient Behavioral Health, his company that does behavioral health, mental health therapy, PTSD evaluations. He also teaches at the University of Utah as an adjunct professor. And this this episode is a rebroadcast of a video that we did, a webinar for PTSD in Utah. And it is very, very interesting. I, I am so happy to bring this to you and bring Cliff to you because I think you'll hear from Cliff in future episodes, in future stuff on Discover Marijuana on YouTube as well. And he just has a lot of insight into trauma-based therapy, which is, trauma is so common in our lives and how we deal with that and just, you know, having a good cry about it, using cannabis about it. Uh, We talk a little bit about the science and and uh, what's what's helping people feel better and medications and all kinds of stuff so let's get into that housekeeping uplift uh just want to mention uplift again if you want to donate to patients in need here in utah uh utahmarijuana.org uplift is a place where you can donate and that donation right now gets matched six times i also met with two more partners, potential partners. So we're looking at eight times match. And uh, we raised $6,500 in December. We were able to see 20 plus patients in Utah, get them through the program for free or reduced cost. Just an amazing start to a program that's transparent, uh, benefits a lot of people, uh, is a great partnership amongst providers and retailers, people in the Utah cannabis space. Uh, Love that program. Stay tuned for updates on the legislative session coming up. There are bills for uh, patient safety, increasing patient safety. There are bills. uh, There's bill for uh, increasing patient protections. We'll talk about that in future episodes. We've got Rich Oborn slated to come on uh, in a few weeks. Kylie Shumway, another pharmacist uh, from Wholesome Co. is going to come on. We're also going to be talking to Brandon from True North. Uh, I was up there touring their facility. Amazing process up there. Just a lot of really great episodes coming. So stay tuned and stay subscribed on any podcast player that you have access to. Looking forward to sharing this all with you this spring and this year. Just uh, super excited about it again. My name is Tim Pickett. This episode with Cliff Ackerman, uh, behavioral health specialist, talking about PTSD. Enjoy this episode. Okay, Cliff, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Welcome everybody out uh, to tonight's kind of... uh, I. I don't know if I love the word webinar, you know, but I, you know, and as I'm sitting here uh, or standing here and I'm organizing my screen, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm getting kind of used to this idea of this virtual, um, this virtual environment, you know, <laughs> uh, and I feel like, I feel like, I, I guess we all are a little bit, but um, tonight's webinar is by utahmarijuana.org and I'm Tim Pickett a medical cannabis provider here in Utah. Uh, We're going to do a, uh, a, just a conversation really around PTSD. And I am so happy that we have an expert essentially on PTSD and behavioral health, Cliff Ackerman. Will you introduce yourself, Cliff, and, you know, talk a little bit about um, your, your background and, and you. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me to this webinar, if that's what we're going to call it, the Metanar. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, uh, graduated from the University of Utah 2010. And so since then have been providing substance use, addiction, mental health services, um, clinical services, you know, for the last, what now, 12 years. And in a lot of different settings, 
you know, cradle to the grave, all different ages. <clears throat> and where I'm at right now in my career, I think I've kind of, you know, gravitated towards treating PTSD trauma, understanding really what that is, what that can look like for so many different people. I've worked with thousands of different people, one-on-one, in groups, uh, with families, and um, also gravitating more towards, you know, the use of medical cannabis in conjunction with trauma treatment or trauma therapies. So I also teach up at the U of U as an associate instructor, and I am currently the senior clinical director and founder of Altium Health, which is a addiction and wellness center out in Jordan Landing. But I'm just in the process of really trying to be a, a, a behavioral health provider in the medical cannabis industry, unlike I think anybody is doing right now. I think we're, a lot of us are trying to figure out with insurances and you know philosophies of therapy and you know trying to break down all the stigmas and stereotypes around you know marijuana and cannabis uh, trying to figure out how you know we're, a lot of us are behavioral health providers are trying to figure out how does this work and 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 how can we make this work and be a good thing for a lot of people with PTSD and so I'm really interested in continuing to kind of uh, find find the model that works for this um, in the medical yeah. cannabis industry so well, yeah. it's 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 cool to to uh, have you as part of this, and I think we'll get into some discussions that I haven't been able to have with with anybody in the clinical setting um, from medical, you know, regarding PTSD specifically and medical cannabis. So, topics we'll try to go over tonight: what is PTSD? Uh, you know, some symptoms of PTSD, what the effects of THC and CBD are in general, but but also specifically for symptoms of PTSD. We'll discuss a little bit of the mechanism of action, what we think is happening. These are, there's some of this we know and some of this that's, uh, that's assumed, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think, well, <clears throat> maybe, it's, maybe we should know more before we use it, but frankly, we don't know the mechanism of action of a lot of drugs we use uh, in normal medicine quote unquote, right? So then we'll talk about suggestions and uses of medical cannabis. And at the end, I'm going to make a couple of product recommendations that I think are similar to products that you might want to try or or really products you might want to go out and, and try yourself. This webinar and more videos can be found at Discover Marijuana. This is a QR code. You can just take a picture of it right now. If you are not subscribed and you're somebody who is interested in medical cannabis, there are a lot of videos there. Uh, that There's a lot of videos with me and Blake Smith, who's a bioanalytical chemist for Zion Medicinal. A lot of mechanism of action for other uh, conditions. A lot of discussion around different forms and delivery. I like this uh, YouTube channel, and, and there you go. Um, subscribe to that. So let's talk about PTSD in general. So Cliff, this is really your wheelhouse, right? What What is PTSD? Well, <laughs> the way that you've got it listed up here, referencing the APA, American Psychiatric Association. Um, so the DSM, the um, kind of the holy Bible of psychiatry where we get all of our mental health diagnoses, um, disorders would say uh, Anybody who's experienced or witnessed a traumatic event um, or been threatened with uh, death, sexual violence, or serious injury. So that's one way to, to define it. But when I work with patients and the way that I define it is, you know, it's that negative life event that a lot of us may experience in our lives at one point in time in our life um, that kind of leaves a, a sense of shock, internalized shame grief and makes us feel really bad about ourselves in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times the trauma is something that leads to detrimental development. And we look at it and we can't see any good from it. We can't see any positive coming away from it. So it just leaves the mind, the body, the spirit in um, a lot of distress. And so we later on, if, if we don't talk about it and we're not processing the trauma in order to kind of reverse the trauma or heal the trauma, then we end up having Nightmares, flashbacks, lots of anxiety. Anxiety is probably number one when it comes to PTSD. 
in terms of symptoms. And so that's how I would probably define PTSD. You've got a list of symptoms right here. Um, again, you know, yeah, do you find that, that, um, there are symptoms that are more common, like, like more common in this list, or is everybody really different? There tends well, everybody's symptoms express and manifest differently in different kinds of ways, but generally across the board, the common things that I see is lots and lots of anxiety. And that would include social anxiety, sleep problems, insomnia, of course, the, you know, the, the, the flashbacks and nightmares, but essentially one thing that kind of, you know, is common between everybody with a PTSD diagnosis is this kind of state of hypervigilance, you know, being very hyper aroused. So getting triggered from some, something or someone in some kind of setting or context and having a really kind of bad negative, you know, uh, distressing reaction, reaction to that. Um, and so that could lead to some kind of flare up of, you know, blowing up, acting out, getting angry and explosive, running away, avoiding, um, shutting down, you know, hiding out and isolating from people is typically what I would see between, you know, a lot of different people diagnosed with PTSD. Is, is this something like in, like with chronic pain, when we look at it clinically, we, we would say, okay, is this pain something that is affecting your ability to do the things that you want to do, right? So yeah. that's the physical part of, um, uh, of you use a physical symptom and then you say, well, is this actually harming your, or, or keeping you from doing other things like your, your leg pain? Then I would say, oh yeah, you have chronic pain. We need to like deal with that because it's affecting your ability to, to do things. Is right. that one of the criteria when you're diagnosing somebody with PTSD is it's, it's not just, I'm anxious all the time, or I, I have these triggers. It's that I'm actually doing things differently because of the trauma. Yeah. And you know, with PTSD and all disorders in the DSM, um, you really can't make a formal diagnosis unless there's some you know, life domain impairment. So between all of the people that I work with that have an actual precise, accurate diagnosis of PTSD, employment is disrupted. A lot of people have a hard time going to work or being at work. Um, relationships with family, spouses, children, friends, parents, siblings are pretty impacted. And have, there's a lot of relational distress that can occur and happen. Um, and then, you know, so many other life domains can be affected too. Sometimes in an attempt to escape or even avoid, a person can start to maybe self-soothe or use different types or forms of medication, whether it be legal and prescribed or illicit and off the street. And so sometimes with that kind of use can come, you know, health problems, emergency room visits, sometimes criminal charges and incarceration. So anytime there's a life impairment, that would be you know, one criteria of, of meeting a, a diagnosis. And is this done in, is typically the diagnosis done with a, like a paper evaluation? You have like a questionnaire people fill out yep. and then you score it. And then you take that with a, with a, with a, um, a behavioral health like evaluation. Yep. So typically we use, there's so many different instruments, but we use the instruments that are kind of were de developed um, and certified by the, the VA, which diagnosed PTSD <clears throat> originally when it was, you know, came along to be a, a formal diagnosis was with military, you know, coming from post-deployment and combat. So the VA has a lot of specialty in diagnosing and screening for PT. PTSD. So we use what's called the LEC-5 and then the PCL-5, which screens for the life events and the symptoms. It's like a symptom checklist. If that has a positive suggestion for PTSD, then we do a full-on behavioral health assessment, which takes about an hour. And we, we look at self-reporting. We look at presentation in the symptom. We're making observations around the information that's being provided. Um, and then we do, you know, a, a collateral kind of clinical collection of documentation from other providers or history of providers. Now, what we notice is, 
most people that I work with, chances are, have some kind of trauma that's still affecting or impacting them and causing some disruption in life domain. And a lot of times we look at a diagnostic matrix, how many symptoms and or sets of symptoms come into the picture or with that patient that might indicate a particular mental health diagnosis like anxiety and depression and bipolar and, and um, you know, those kinds of things. And what we notice is the, a person that comes in with a history of one or, or three or more diagnoses in their diagnostic matrix, chances are that is all falling under the umbrella of a PTSD diagnosis. Hmm. Okay. This is, um, I think in, uh, in, in medicine that I've been experienced, then I, that I have experience in, it is much more, you know, it's 15 minutes. I got a 15 minutes, 20 minutes with the patient. We're going to talk about it real quick. And then I'm going to pick a medication to put them on. And that is not what, what you're essentially saying is that's not a good, that doesn't really help people, uh, you know, in, in some ways. Right. It's part of it. It can help and it and it's part of it, but it's not it's not the end of the road for a lot of patients for sure. Right, right. Okay. So in Utah, uh PTSD is the only condition that is in the mental health world, in the behavioral health world. PTSD is has to be diagnosed by a licensed one of these psychiatrist, psychologist, LCSW, psychiatric APRN. And you also have to be in ongoing treatment, in ongoing treatment. So it's the only condition in Utah that requires not only the diagnosis, but you you must be in ongoing treatment, mm. um, which I think is a good, I think is a good thing. Would you agree <laughs> with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people have a hard time when they feel like they're forced to do something. And so if a person has choice and control, and they're getting good quality therapy, you know, to treat trauma takes a lot of expertise. And so I think most people probably would want good therapy over the long term, we screen patients, and we say, you know, how long do you think you want to be in therapy? And most people with a true, precise, accurate diagnosis of PTSD are wanting to be in therapy for a year or more because there's so much that they need to be uh, worked through and be able to process. So let's talk a little bit about, we're not going to go through these very much, but there are some studies and I find these, these are particular ones that I picked out. So some Israeli research is very interesting. They give they have given 100 grams of cannabis flour per month to some, some of their soldiers, right? 100 grams, that's a lot of flour, okay? In Utah, four ounces, 113 grams. So we're talking more than three ounces, three and a half ounces of flour. You're really, you're smoking more than uh, not quite an ounce a week. I don't know how much in this study the, the patients were actually using, but they're, they're measuring symptoms before, they're measuring symptoms after, and they're showing really good results with access to cannabis flower in this, in this study. Right. In 2017, there was a really good review, too, uh, about CBD specifically, that it produces an enduring reduction in learned fear expression. So one of the things that we'll go into and maybe we have a slide on it. I don't. I don't really know. But the, but what's happening from a brain chemistry standpoint is you're building calluses between the amygdala, the emotional part of the brain, and the frontal lobe, which is your reasoning, and you're building these pathways that it's hard for the brain to get out of, mm-hmm. and that is what we would consider learned fear, right? So that if we can reduce that learned fear, then in theory, we can reduce the uh, the impact of the trauma to the patient's life experience. Right. Yeah. Lessening um, anxiety, reducing the the symptoms, so that we can slow things down and and lessen the the way the the reactivity that a person often you know exhibits to be able then to you know do more work below the the symptoms of it all. Yeah, that okay, so that makes sense. You're basically kind of utilizing it to 
to soften, to kind of like soften the clay so you mm-hmm. can mold it a little better. Yep. Right. It's a great analogy. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the effects of Delta nine, this is kind of a fun little uh, video where Blake uh, what, what, talks What's happening about, in the body chemically with depression? Why cannabis, why is cannabis good or bad? Yeah. Tell us about that. If someone is having depression, this is not going to like really inspire you not to be depressed, right? right? This is just a chemical explanation about this and really, you know, work with your doctor. Everyone deserves to be happy and have joy. It's not just the interplay of dopamine by itself. It's melatonin, it's serotonin, and you have a whole slew of other neurotransmitters that are all oscillating. And so what you're trying to do is get back to homeostasis or this natural, typical curve. I I show that because... um, What's happening? You know, partly because if you want more information about this, you can go to Discover Marijuana and you can listen to Blake talk a lot about stuff like that. All these different pathways that THC and CBD are affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really not necessarily what we're talking about here in depth, but, but that's the chemical kind of explanation of how these things are, are helping because CBD and cannabis in general is really trying to get the body back to homeostasis. Yes. It's a very, very interesting, uh, substance that will stimulate certain pathways in the neurons and inhibit other pathways in order to maintain that balance. And that's what, I mean, it's what you and I really like about the, the um, you know, cannabis treatment in general. Uh, we find that the, the things that cannabis can be really good for is improving sleep, decreasing anxiety to a certain extent, if you're using it correctly in the correct, um, correct dosing and delivery forms for, for the patient. Uh, having the right kind of intention around the cannabis use tends to help lower anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, anger outbursts, and avoidance behavior. And have you found, Cliff, that the avoidance behavior goes goes down? Like this is somebody who doesn't want to interact with that individual because in the past they were they had a traumatic event with with somebody who looked like that. Yeah, or sounded like them. Yeah, or sounded like that. Or said the same things that they said. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I think that you know, with the use of cannabis, um, and a, and a lot of times, I think the the CBD uh, when that's part of the ratio, a lot of these symptoms are lessened. I think when they're in session and doing therapy, then uh, because trauma is really memory, and so you have a traumatic memory with a lot of feeling embedded in that memory. And so anything that triggers the memory is going to trigger the feeling. So if I have somebody that's coming in to do trauma therapy and it's in conjunction with medical cannabis, then they have a whole hour that they can sit without running away and really confront and face the memories and then process the emotions. The trick in the trauma therapy, which is why I love the use of medical cannabis, because it allows the person to be able to release and relinquish themselves from those feelings being calm enough and slowed down enough and less anxious, you know, less anxious enough to, to be able to, you know, have a really good cry. And a cathartic moment like that releases those emotional molecules, which are just really built up toxins stored in all of those old memories that's creating disturbance internally. And so that's what I love about, you know, the, the, the medicinal cannabis. So are you using, are you specifically having certain patients or are certain patients choosing to use cannabis during their sessions? Yeah. I mean, whether, whether it's cannabis or an anti-anxiety pill or an antidepressant, typically people who are on some form of medication are taking their daily dose in the morning before they get up for the day and get ready and do something with their life, including therapy. So if it's, if it's medical, cannabis that they're using when they get up and before therapy, that's what they use. And oftentimes if that's what they do, the therapy session um, is just a much more meaningful for them and much more quality with the time that we have to be able to work through and process things that they normally would be hyper aroused by hyper reactive to avoiding 
not wanting to talk about, being afraid or too anxious to talk about. And sometimes the, the medical cannabis actually helps restore the memory because a lot of times people don't remember what there is to talk about and they can't recall what to talk about in the first place. And that's just because of that hyper aroused kind of you know, state of mind that, that they might be in or that hyperactive emotional state they might be in. So if they take a, you know, their medicinal cannabis in the daytime in the morning when they get up, they come to therapy, they're much more able to remember and recall, have an emotional release, and then be able to kind of confront and face those fears without all of the anxiety. I, I love this. And I don't think there's enough of this going on. Certainly, we're not talking about it enough. And I think people really need to hear that this is an option. Right. You know, that. And when you talk about like the mechanism of action, which is the next slide, which we don't really, um, you know, this isn't something that I want to spend much time on in detail, but. Cannabis it enhances the present by, by disconnecting us from our short-term memory mm-hmm. um, a little bit, but you're bringing up that you can access these long-term memories, and it seems like that would be more clear because there's not so much uh, distortion or noise. There's not so much noise in the mind, right? You're able to really focus, like you say, and slow down and, um, and then, and talk it out. Right. Right. And like you say, have a good cry. I, I think there are a lot of us and probably even in the, in the, uh, participants in the audience here that have experienced that, right? It's not all just euphoria and giggles with cannabis. There are times when you can have an, an incredibly meaningful conversation with somebody right. and learn a lot about yourself and about your perception of reality and um, it, a very, very meaningful experiences. Right. Get, getting real with some stuff. The other thing, too, that I don't think most people realize is that in trauma work, um, even being able to talk about these kinds of things in session. And and a lot of times people are sharing things in ways of themselves that they've never shared before with anybody else at all um, because it's been so buried and it's been kind of trapped and and contained uh, in, in shame and secrecy Um, because the person feels like, you know, it was their fault. They're to blame. They did something wrong. They weren't good enough. There's something wrong with them. Now, the, the thing that most people don't realize is that, you know, after that session, because that person has been able to disclose so much in such a vulnerable way, it likely will leave them feeling insecure when they walk away and after they go home questioning, should I have brought that up? I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have told him that. I wonder what he's thinking about me now. (laughs) So there's a really can be in trauma work after a really good, meaningful, positive session a whole lot of, you know, increased anxiety and insecurities in the aftermath of it. So that's one thing that I also think that, you know, medical cannabis can help with. Oftentimes I tell my patients, go home and take a good nap and try to sleep really well tonight. And the one thing that helps them sleep and take a really good nap so that their brain can do pruning after all those oxytocins are released because of that good cathartic cry is use cannabis to help them get there, to lessen the anxiety and to help them get to sleep so that their brain can do some repair work. I think the other thing I would, I would add to that is allowing your, the nice thing about having a therapy session and having a professional that you work with or a really, really good friend, somebody that you're a, you have as a trusted confidant, giving you permission to be vulnerable so that you don't have that, um, there is this anxiety associated with THC use as well. And a lot of times people have to give themselves permission to, to talk, right? right. Um, and to be open and to use and to be a little, right? Be a little stony, I guess, for <laughs> lack of a better word. Um, Nathan has a question, but we're going to get to that in just a second. And I, and I think we can help with that, uh, with that question. So, This slide talks about the mechanism of action of the endocannabinoid system, 
which really the key word there is modulation. So we're creating things, we're consolidating things, we're, we're trying to get back to a balance. We're trying to get back to this homeostasis and we're using the CB1 and CB, the CB1 receptor system is in the brain and the nervous system. And the CB2 receptor system is in the, uh, the tissues and we're using both in uh, trauma therapy and PTSD therapy. There's a, this hypothalamic pituitary cord, this is emotional brain talking to the frontal lobe. That, that's, that's the simple version of that. And then the 5-HT1A, that's that serotonin kind of pathway. That's that depression pathway that it's, it's modulated a little bit, not so much activity in the, with depression specifically with THC and CBD use, more help with anxiety in, and that part. So let's kind of, let's move on to some interesting stuff. So the tinctures and edibles, I want to teach everybody, remind everybody that tinctures and edibles are going to be a slower onset to peak effect. You're looking at, I would say an hour to two hours to peak effect. You're going to have a slow decrease over the course of four to six hours, typically with oral methods of cannabis. Really good for consistent dosing. And if you're taking it morning, noon, at night, if you're taking it at night, tinctures and edibles tend to be really, really good because they last a long time and you can sleep. And then you have flower and vaporizers inhaled methods, which are quick to action, but they decrease over a shorter amount of time, much more rapid. So this tends to be good for triggering events, things that you either know something is going to be triggering so you can dose, or you have a triggering event and then you dose uh, where, where an edible or a tincture is going to take a little too long to take effect. And this kind of goes to the question, and I'll read this question out. So the question is really around, so there's edibles before bed, but found myself super groggy in the morning. And over the last few months, he switched to a drier vaporizer, usually a one-to-one type strain. So that means a one part CBD, one part THC. We'll talk about that in a couple of slides coming up. Does not have the same effect, meaning it's meaning not groggy. I'm hoping that I'm getting that right. Any suggestions on methods might be better that will leave me functional in the morning. So using these two slides as your guide, right? If you're using a dryer vaporizer, you're only going to get effect for between two and four hours. But if you're using an edible, you're going to get effect for a long period of time. So usually it's depending on the dosing and how long before bed or how early you wake up. And we can get a little more nuanced than that with absorption. Absorption can happen depending on what you eat, either slower or faster. So if you ate a high fat meal, you might have more effect because it's absorbed with the fat and that may actually last longer as your gut slows down with these big meals. So you you can tend to get an eight to 12 hours sometimes um, almost high from an edible and leave people groggy in the morning. Uh, So I think if the question is, trying not to feel groggy in the morning, then the answer is using shorter, sh- shorter methods like flowers. That's the answer. If the question is, you want to sleep as good as you did with the edible, and you're not getting that effect with the flower, that is, that's probably strain related or, or level of dose related mm-hmm. more so than uh, the duration of effect. And there's a couple of suggestions in my last slide about products. Right. Is it also possible too that with, you know, the edible before bed, you know, that all has to digest and then it has a longer, you know, span of time to kind of take effect and stay in effect. Yes. Because you're only absorbing, you might only be absorbing one or two milligrams at a time and you might be absorbing clear through the night. Right. So, So go ahead, Tim. No, go ahead. I, I was going to say, so just, you know, my part as a therapist, as a medical cannabis therapist, because, you know, we really want to try to have the, 
greatest and most positive effect of what's being consumed beyond the most effective of the least amount of things, right? Yes. So something that I'm seeing here now, now if this, if, if um, Nathan came to me to therapy, I would probably really want to explore, right? What is the, also, what is the antidepressant? What is the anti-anxiety and what kind of edible is it? What, you know, strain and ratio is it? Because sure. I want to understand the interaction risks between all of these things, but I would want to also understand that sometimes if I wake up groggy and still tired, something's been flooded, chances are. And you got you got an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety, depending on what types of medications those are and the the dosage that he might be on in combination with the edible, whatever that is, could actually be, you know, not the best concoction or mixture of, of medication. So I'd want him to explore that and really then talk to somebody like you um, yeah. and see if there's a way to get on the least amount of the most effective. And as a medical cannabis therapist, I typically would tell my patients, gosh, you know what? Think about, you know, one or the other. I mean, medical cannabis is very, you know, natural, organic. It's a plant-based medicine. And the antidepressants and anti-anxieties are, you know, come, you know, from the lab and are, you know, based, you know, it's a pharmaceutical. Yep, completely case. synthetic. Yep. Synthetic. And so you never know, you know, and there's no recurrent research that tells us, hey, this is what happens when you put these things together in your unique body. So that's the kind of conversation that I would also probably want to be having as well. And that brings up Colin's point, which is uh, here that it's best to start low and go slow and then keep a journal. So keeping a journal, not only of your cannabis use, but of your other medications that you take and maybe even what you're eating for dinner. I know that these journals, we don't want these journals to be so detailed that you're not going to do it. But if you have a set of things that you're tracking and then a couple hours later, how you feel, especially with cannabis, if you're, if you're tracking how much you take and when you take it and then how you feel a couple of hours later, then you're, you know, th then you're going to, over time, you're going to get a sense. You're going to be able to go back and get a sense of what's working and what might not be. But the whole point of a journal is to keep the record. And like Nathan said, I mean, if you're tracking too much data, you're not going to do it. So right. only track enough data that you're going to do it every day or do it every session. And over time you find, you know, you find like, you know, I, I definitely have things that I will not take at certain doses. I promise you, I uh, very, 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 very specific about a couple of things. Let's talk about that specifically, what to take and what, what to look for, for PTSD and, and mental health, really, and, uh, you know, maybe what to avoid a little bit. So terpenes are, terpenes are found in everything, right? When you go through the forest and you smell, you're smelling pine. When you, when you eat a lemon or smell uh, an orange, you're, you're, there's a lot of lemonine in that. Myrcene is the most dominant terpene found in cannabis. It's up to, I think, 4% in some strains, but definitely the most, most common. Linalool is a very much like lavender. That's the smell that we have. And caryophylline, beta-caryophylline, is a common anti-inflammatory terpene. It's very common in strains that tend to help with chronic pain. Um, but they, these three are my favorite terpenes when it comes to PTSD symptoms. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for, if you have the ability to look for terpene uh, products with these terpenes either added or these terpenes are dominant in the flower, then these would be pretty good. The cannabinoids, these are, there's about 120 cannabinoids we know of. THC is a cannabinoid, CBG. CBC, CBD, and CBN. Um, CBN is known for its relaxing properties. It's known for to be very calming. Uh, it is very good for sleep and, and calming anxiety during the day. So uh, if you're looking for products with cannabinoids or terpenes that, are, that may help a, a PTSD type of condition, these would be where I would, I would start. And you can find this particular graphic on utahmarijuana.org. And you can find information on terpenes 
that's it's readily available online. Terpenes are essentially essential oils, right? Which are really common, uh, common thing in Utah to treat things. One warning about terpenes: you do not want to inhale terpenes uh, on their own, right? You don't. You're not vaping terpenes. Don't vape your essential oils. That is very, very dangerous. It's not recommended. And you'll notice in these uh, products, there's very small percentage of terpenes added uh, because they can be very strong in low doses. And then product recommendations for for me, the I'm going to tend to recommend indica or hybrid type products. Mm-hmm. A couple of things in Utah that are fairly common and easy to find are ice cream cake and dosi dough. Dosi dough is a vape cart and a flower. There's a bunch of different companies that make these products uh, with the dosi dough kind of breakdown. The only edible that I could find with a breakdown of what's actually in it was a Zion Medicinal, uh, the plush wild cherry gummies. That's And the reason why I like this one is because of the ratio. I think you you want that ratio of THC to CBD, which brings me really to my favorite products for uh, for for PTSD and for new patients, which are tinctures, I recommend ratios of one to four uh, up to one to 10. THC to CBD, if you go back in our slides, you'll find that that CBD research is really good. And CBD tends to smooth out the rough edges of the THC effect. And so patients who use them together tend to have better better sessions when they're in that one to four ratio or at, at least one to one ratios. Cliff, do you have any favorite products? Yeah, I think anything that is higher CBD, lower THC. For me and my patients, the one to one sometimes can be a little too much. The one to four, what do they got? One to 10, one to 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some people really do um, like, you know, flour and f- there are, there are flour products out there that are, you know, mostly, if not all CBD with a little bit of THC, which can be really helpful, um, but they've got, you know, vapes and tinctures and, um, edibles. But I think for me and my patients, the, the tinctures are great, uh, but edibles tend to kind of be what, what I hear, um, a lot of, you know, my patients using a lot more is the, is the edible. This is a good slide for reference for dosing. Uh, just like Cliff was saying, the one to 10 THC to CBD, uh, that seems to be a really good sweet spot for people who are new to cannabis, to people with, to people who want to, who want to decrease anxiety, help their sleep, right? Decrease their dreams. That 2.5 to 12.5 milligrams per dose also seems to be, when you look at the evidence, you're, we tend to come to this 7.5 to 12.5 as the sweet spot for THC dosing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is around, if you get too much THC, THC, you get, the brain starts to spin and you, you're, you're, you're watching the waterfall. You're behind the waterfall and it's just going and going and going. Um, and that, that can ruin your sleep. Especially the sativa. And if you're already, a, a, if you already come with a lot of anxiety and anxiety is a big part of PTSD, but if you already have a lot of anxiety and then you're using really high dosages of THC and sativa, that chances are you're probably going to get a little bit more paranoid anxiety can turn into paranoia if your brain is, you know, over, over activated. Uh, the last thing I'll say before we get to questions is if you are concerned about the high, start with CBD, one milligram per kilogram. So take your body weight in pounds, divide it by 2.2. That's your kilograms. One milligram per kilogram per day. Start with that, right? So I'm 170 pounds. That's, uh, you know, 80, 75 kilos. So I'm going to take 75 milligrams of CBD every single day divided. So I take a slug, I call it, just take a good slug in the morning, good slug in the middle of the day. And that will, that will help on its own without any psychoactivity and can be used during the day because it's, because it's not psychoactive and you don't get that high feeling. So let's go to some questions. We have 
We've got a question about a teenage child who's been diagnosed with PTSD at a loss for how to handle the compassionate service board. Yes, I have some, uh, some comments about that. If I have any advice, um, she has a diagnosis from her therapist who's an LCSW. Her therapist is su supportive, but not a QMP. So this is a great question. And there's a couple of things about this. So like Cliff is an LCSW, right? Yes. Cliff. So yes. Cliff is not a QMP, cannot be a QMP under state law because he doesn't have a controlled substance license or a license to prescribe controlled substances in Utah. That, that requires somebody like me, a PA with a controlled substance license. So in this case, no matter what, if the patient is diagnosed with PTSD from a LCSW and you then go to see a QMP, you can take that diagnosis and that letter of treatment and you can then get a recommendation from the QMP for medical cannabis. So these two things go together, right? You're going to get the, the cannabis recommendation from the, from the QMP. You're going to get the, the help and the therapy from the, from the, uh, the clinical social worker. And I hope that makes sense. That's just in general, the process. Then you add on to that, the compassionate use board for somebody under 21. So that application has to be done through the QMP with help from the social worker. So there's, a, there's an entire application process that has to be done. They have to take that application to the Compassionate Use Board, which is seven physicians in Utah, and that board will make a recommendation for, uh, for medical cannabis and allow them access. And then you as the parent have to have a guardian card or a caregiver card to help them access that, that medication if they're under 18. Um, the process takes one to two months. And really, if the patient is, is between, you know, if, if they're 16 and over, you can go to utahmarijuana.org and you can, you can see us. We will help. The Compassionate Use Board is, has been a little hesitant to use specialist providers as QMPs. It's a tricky scenario, but we can help guide you through it. And uh, so, so give us a call. We have somebody who's actually an expert on the compassionate use board and, and does all of that for us. So hopefully that helps. Um, and we can get you more resources as well. We had a nice comment. Very, very thankful to us for, you know, we're exploring the cannabis family. Yeah, thank, thank you. Uh, I don't know if it's Jeannie or Jean, but thanks for those, uh, those kind words. Yes. Cliff and I actually really like this stuff. This is cool. you know, I don't know if you, you notice, but we're like, we're kind of all jazzed up about this, about yeah. this topic, right? Like I, I just, am, I'm fascinated with the idea that you can manipulate the mind and you can change, like you can change behavior and you can change your perception of your own life and your experience. I, mm -hmm. I think that's so important. And I, I think that's missing with modern medicine. I just feel like, a lot of the times we just prescribe and prescribe and prescribe and dole everything. Yeah. Yes. And cannabis is like the, like a turning point. It's not about the cannabis. The cannabis is just unlocking something that, that is allowing us to take a step forward yeah. in our life and in our, our growth. And there also may be some healing properties too. I mean, I think for me, I, you know, grew up as kind of a delinquent youth. And so I was in the system a lot. And so as a way to prevent youth from getting into trouble, they made us feel like, you know, all drugs and alcohol were bad and to never use it. Well, when my brother had diabetes and went blind because of glaucoma, he started using cannabis and it, he brought his vision back. And with all the people that I've worked with, especially when I worked in the jail and I ran a program there, we could not talk about it yet. Everybody, most of the people in there were in there because of, drug charges and a lot of it, you know, marijuana and we're also using cannabis when they weren't in jail. Sometimes they would use it in jail too. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but we, couldn't, we couldn't talk about it. And so, you know, um, in the last couple of years, as I've been working more with patients with trauma and seeing, you know, how much this can help and have healing properties, I think it's something that I want to be a part of and be involved in the conversation about. For sure. Yeah. 
Um, okay, this we have a last question, and uh, and it is perfectly timed. So thank you, Nathan, for asking it. And that is this: any recommendations to find a therapist willing to work with a cannabis patient like him? Well, yes. There, there you go. Call, call Cliff, and you can get a hold of Cliff by reaching out to us, because that's not part of this presentation as far as like our. And I think, you know, probably just an oversight on my part, frankly, Cliff. So sorry. So go to utahmarijuana.org, reach out to us, mention the webinar. We will set you up, right? We'll give you all the information you need and you can just call our office. We have, we have locations and, and Cliff's going to be involved with us uh, clinically in our locations, uh, specifically in Bountiful. If that's uh, if that's somewhere that that you want to go, and I'm sure, to be honest, I I I want to do it because I I'm just interested in utilizing cannabis, like going to the next level and getting really serious about my like my my mental health, and use some cannabis. You can also follow us on uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know we're we're in, we're on all the things and. At the end of this, hopefully, if you if you've signed up for this, then there'll be a there'll be a feedback poll. So we really appreciate the feedback. One way to get a hold of me or Cliff is when this is posted on YouTube. If you make a comment on any of the videos that I have, we answer all those questions. It's better than email because when we answer the question, we get to answer it for everybody and not just keep it a secret to, for only you. So. That I just I think that's the best way to get the information out is just you know go to YouTube, comment away, and uh, and we'll get it. Anything else that we missed, Cliff? Nope, I think that was great. I appreciate it. Sounds like everybody had a good time. The one thing I wanted to mention is if you can't journal, some people have a hard time writing and tracking stuff. Come to therapy. Let me be your journal. I'll keep a documented record of it. Every time you come in, we'll measure every time we'll send it to Tim and we'll all work together to make something work for you in the best kind of way. That is a great idea. All right. Thanks everybody. Uh, Stay safe out there. Will you see you later? (laughs) 